my whole career, I'm up and down and depressed and exhilarated and, and I'm happy and I'm sad and I'm always confused. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. I'm Josh Horowitz, and today on Happy, Sad, Confused, it's a horror master. No, no, it's a stoner comedy king. No, no, it's an indie drama stalwart. Never mind, it's all of them in one package. It's the director of The Exorcist, Believer, David Gordon Green on Happy, Sad, Confused, somehow for the very first time. Hey, David, how's it going? It's going good, and I, and I think your podcast describes me well. So it's, uh, it's <laughs> nice to be here and, um, among among others. You're uh, you're in the white void. I'm speaking to you. You died apparently. Very apropos for for Exorcist. You you have passed into the great beyond. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm, a lot of revelations, and I'm also I'm right here, but I'm also right behind you. So oh gosh. <laughs> um. So talk to me. Do you think uh the Exorcist or Your Highness has more sacrilegious material? Which one is going to send you to hell quicker? I think Your Highness will send me to hell quicker. Um. But I think believer has more sacrilegious material fair enough okay so we're gonna dig into all of it we have the luxury of time on a podcast like this um obviously i know your work very well but i want to contextualize for the audience i i alluded a little bit to the insane filmography look it up for a good just a good old time to see what david gordon green has done in his relatively young career still you still have a long way to go but okay let me summarize there was 2000 to 2007. We're going to call the, I don't even know what years we're going to call these, but this was George Washington, All the Real Girls, Undertow, Snow Angels. This is when I first met Mr. David Gordon Green before I knew what depravity lay within him. <laughs> <laughs> then then we get, we get R-rated comedy, David Gordon Green, Pineapple Express, The Sitter, the aforementioned Your Highness, which I could spend the whole 45 minutes on. Uh, <laughs> then we go, we go maybe a little bit of return to roots, a little Prince, Prince Avalanche action, Joe Manglehorn. Somehow in there also is our brand is Crisis, The Great Stronger. We have some TV shows that we don't even have time to mention, Eastbound and Down, currently Righteous Gemstones, a return to comedy. And the last seven years of his life, essentially, has been in horror because he needed to switch it up one more time with a trilogy of Halloween films. And now at the beginning of a trilogy, presumably of exorcist films. Um, did I summarize it? Do we do, is your session over David? Is that you? It's a great job. Uh, it's great. You know uh, what I, what I've, what I've missed is some of the hobbies that I used to have because I, when your hobby becomes your career, it is a strange thing. So uh, I haven't been playing near enough music or, or climbing near near as many mountains as I would like to, but I've been making a lot of movies and having a ton of fun. And as you can see, keeping my career curious and colorful is a priority. But and you you know there's this fascination from folks like me with the career because most people don't do it this way. People try to mix it up at, to a degree, but I, I mean I remember when the kind of the first quote unquote you know swerve happened and you started to do Pineapple Express, etc. I mean, presumably that wasn't a surprise to you. You contain multitudes like any human being. But like, was this always kind of the plan? Like, I'm going to I'm going to try all this shit out. I'm going to express myself in every conceivable way. No, I just don't know anything else. I'm always my my entire career. I will be still in film school, uh, still studying, still learning from the masters, still fucking up, still um, feeling my way through it. And a lot of it's impulsive. A lot of it's temperamental. Um, uh, sometimes it's a good business move or seems like a funny way that I could go buy a cool piece of real estate. And, you know, I don't know. It's a, it, it really is intuitive at this point. And I've been really 
I have to say I'm just really lucky to have a group of collaborators, many of whom I've been with for since film school, 25, right. almost 30 years, I guess. But um, And so we are still looking at each other for those types of encouragements and influence and double dog dare you to make something like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I, I hope I always keep a sense of, of, of childishness and playfulness to what I do. It, it does seem like you, like you've been very nimble and, and smart in many respects, because like to look at those, you know, these last 20, 25 years in the career almost charts out different trends. Even we've seen in the business, right? Like when you kind of came of age, those are the kind of movies that were being made. There was more of an audience for that in, especially in theatrical. And then, you know, I, I certainly miss kind of like that R rated comedy boom that you were definitely at the forefront of and and now comedies and tv and that's where you're at on tv so it definitely feels like you've been very like you know artistically true to yourself but also very mindful of where the business what, what the business will let you make yeah Fair to i say? think you have to be mindful or my friends that aren't aren't mindful of the business aren't making a lot of things and and it's one thing to to resent an industry or wish it you wish you could make this type of thing but nobody will find the money for that and that happens all the time every day with everyone um and it's just a matter of saying okay what what within my personal agendas within my passions can i do that appreciates a business model right now because the second you're ignoring or condescending or um or not respectful of the fact that there is a a many millions of dollar business behind an industry, you can make things all day, but nobody's going to see them. And, and, and I, I make plenty of projects like that and, and, and hope to still make art projects that are less conscious of a market. But, uh, but there are other times where I want to, I want to blow shit up and I want to make a, a good salary for, for myself. And I want to put my kids through college and, and yeah. real life fun decisions that I can do within a, uh, an industry that still accepts my eccentric qualities and and acknowledges that I don't have a brand and I don't have a film by credit on any movie and uh, those are things that I I I say proudly because I love the collective collaboration for me it honestly doesn't matter if I'm directing a movie or 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 pushing a dolly or holding the boom mic I, these are all things that I think are creative and impactful and being with a group of creators in a room is how I want to spend every day so I, I alluded to this, you know, we, we have a, a long storied history. I, I first um, chatted with you nearly 20 years ago for uh, a book that sold about 300 copies. Um, that was a collection of interviews with young filmmakers. We're still very young, you and I, David. But um, I, I went back and revisited our conversation just to see what you were, where your head was at then. And here, here's some things you told me back then let's just revisit okay I'm just so for fun. curious okay okay i have the <laughs> well, book so, on my bookshelf but i haven't read i haven't reread it probably in 20 years <laughs> <laughs> so 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 uh th this is just factual this is nothing like you know opinionated but like i forgot this that you were one of the first members of blockbuster video that is that is a true statement true i was the first member of the second blockbuster video <laughs> I, that was that was fact checked at a point probably based on your book um yeah. and someone corrected me and said the first one was on skillman yours was in dalrich village that was the second of the flagship blockbuster video stores, but I was the do you, first. Member. Do you remember the first what you what you what you rented or what? Yeah, you I was overwhelmed. Rentals? It was it was that it was random. It was this Al Pacino movie, Author Author. Oh wow! I would not have, that so would not have been my top five hundred guests. There were ten thousand yeah. movies. I didn't know what to do. My you started at A. Was, you went to A. Yeah. Yeah, I went to A. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, this was maybe your most controversial take. You gave me. You told me back then that you preferred Iron Eagle over Top Gun. 
Now we live in a world now, David, where Top Gun saved us, saved us all from <laughs> from the end of, of humanity, the end of filmmaking. Do you want to revise your statement or you stick by it? I I would revise my statement by saying Top Gun Maverick is better than Iron Eagle. <laughs> I loved it. I saw it three times. I thought it was fantastic. I was and always have been a bit of a contrarian in, in a playful way that then then you say something that's kind of out of your ass and then you kind of lean into it a little bit. And, you know, right. I'm one of those kids that, that, you know, not necessarily to the point of conspiracy theory, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, you know, you <laughs> well, gotta be a little suspect when every kid on Monday shows up loving this one movie, I gotta right. be like, not so fast guys. Yeah. Yeah. You're the, uh, you're the Mac and me guy, not I, the ET guy. A hundred Mac and me. And then the other one that I, that I, I confuse people with is when platoon came out, I was all about death before dishonor. So. Oh, I thought you were going to go casualties of war. I've never even heard of death before dishonor. Oh, you got okay. to go, go deep, you know? So that was <laughs> uh, that was interesting. So I always play a little bit of the yin and yang for just some of it for fun. And then other times I'm like, why do people respond to that movie in that way? And, right. and I can't fucking fathom. But uh, have, have you ever had the Tom Cruise meeting? Has uh, David Gordon Green come close to it? No, I've never met Tom Cruise. God, it's, a, it's on the it's bucket list, you know? But, yeah. uh, but I do, I will say this, when... The top, the when uh, the the title for Top Gun Maverick was circulating, they're going to make a sequel to it. I raised yeah. my hand loud to my agent and I said, "Just get me the meeting." Guess what meeting didn't happen? I did not Aww. get the meeting for Top Gun Maverick because I was just going to quote Iron Eagle to him, and nobody wants to hear about Chappie Sinclair. Right? Uh, you know who? You know who'd be great in this movie is Jason Gedrick. Get that guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. then you're onto something. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is it Chappie? Did I get the name right? Is yeah. that Chappie okay, Sinclair, Louis okay. Gossett Jr. Yeah. Okay. Good. No. Yeah, good. You're talking to an Iron Eagle enthusiast too. Don't oh, worry. Oh, you're in a safe you. space. All right. That's good. good to know. I'm in a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> you told me this. This one is really impressive to me because in the years since, this is my favorite actor. This is my spirit animal. This is the man I always I'm obsessed with. I'm proud to call him a friend and acquaintance now. But back then, nobody knew who this guy was. Your favorite actor in 2006, you said was Michael Shannon. How was Michael Shannon even on your radar? I don't. I think this was before Shotgun Stories was even out. Probably, yeah. I I I first dialed into him. I'd seen some theater work he'd done, but he has a line in Pearl Harbor where he says, "I I've got a girlfriend," and I was like, "Whoever said that is my hero," and that's the line. And I died, and I thought, and I'm watching a movie starring all these movie stars, and that's the guy that got my attention. And ever since then, you know, it, early in their careers, I would say these three actors that I, I credit my own my own intuition for falling in love with uh, Russell Crowe when he did Romper Stomper. I was in some of us. And I, I was like, there's this guy and he's going to be the guy. John C. Riley, Casualties of War, you mentioned John C. Riley in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Oh, yeah. And when he's looking at the burger barn that's coming down the road and a funeral and he's just doesn't inhale i said that's the guy he's gonna uh, he's gonna be a part of of cinema history um my cinema history <laughs> um, uh and uh and yeah so those it's the in michael shannon and uh yeah. those are there's not a week goes by that i don't think about what's a movie i could could do with michael shannon he's as oh. good as it gets yeah and i know well, he's obviously in with jeff nichols who i know you have a close association yeah. with so yeah you need to make that happen at some point Brian. um and the, and 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 the last thing I want to mention from our earlier conversation, uh, we talked a lot of '80s action, um, and we talked a bit about your love of um, Schwarzenegger. You said you loved Predator back in the day. 
this is one of the genres you've never done. You've never done kind of like the pure action movie. Ironically, the movie with the most action is maybe Pineapple Express. It, it um, is ironic. I've tried. I, I wrote a script one time with my buddy Darius. We wrote a movie called One in the Chamber that we want. I mean, it, it, it still circulates. Every year we'll dust it off and say like, who's the guy that can do that? Who's the guy that can kick ass that has right. the testosterone? And, and when you see a movie like Maverick or... Um, you know, there's movies that come out every now and then that feel like I'm trying to think of a recent one that feels. I mean, Liam Neeson kind of does a, a Liam sure. Neeson does these these movies now that that feel f- formulaic in the right way. You know, yep. I want I want to see justice. A very clear premise. Some, yeah, clear, I don't want to have to read the review after I've seen the movie and then see the movie again. I want to know who who does what, and and I want to feel that that um, that adrenaline. And there aren't a lot of movies that give me that adrenaline in a good guy, bad guy kind of way anymore. Or they take two and a half hours and there's too many contrived plot points in it and I get confusing. Right. I, get, I get overwhelmed with um, a lot of Marvel movies, not anything against them. There's just, there's too much going on and I get over, I, I just, it's too much. It's uh, There is this tendency now, I know, like, again, we're going to sound like old men here, but like back in the day, it's like you could do like a 9,500 minute like action movie that didn't have like three climaxes. And there is this, like, I feel this obsession now with like, it needs to have four different finales and they each have to get progressively bigger. And I'm like, if you just do one great, I'm happy. Just, just rewatch Code of Silence and then make movies like that. And that's Invasion USA and yeah. those are good. Okay, so, so Chuck Norris was your guy. Okay, a man he of great was, taste. He was again. a good guy, yeah. All right, let's get into the exorcist okay man this um congratulations again look you 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 clearly are a man without fear uh because taking on halloween is one thing and i love halloween um the exorcist is not only one of the great horror movies of all time the exorcist is one of the greatest movies of all time period end of sentence i will put it top 10 among anything um does did did kind of tackling halloween and the expectations of that kind of give you a little strength to kind of know like, okay, I know what I'm in for. I know the slings and arrows I'm going to have to tackle. Um, or was it kind of like hitting it from ground one, uh, ground zero all over again? Um, you know, the, the thing that Halloween had to offer on top of a joyous experience is, is it put me in a place where I felt comfortable with both success and rejection in a way that I hadn't prior to that. Because you're never gonna, you're never gonna please every fan. Because right. you're, everybody's walking into it with the nostalgia that they had of some experience they had when they're 14 years old, and you can't trigger that for them anymore. All I can do is reach to the new 14 year olds. I can't right. reach to recreating what you felt when you saw something at a vulnerable period of your life. And I think if you look between 11 and 21, that 10 year period of you consuming culture, that's when the the hormones in your body the chemistry in your body was taking things that were stimulating you and put it in an archive and said this is who i am right. and i can't fuck with that and nor nor should you worry <laughs> about me fucking with that because uh you'll love or hate it regardless just in terms of if our if our dna connects at that moment but i i i got very comfortable with being me i got very comfortable with telling my story in the sandbox that was sacred and making it personal to me and so um, Halloween three, for example, very divisive. People can feel the way they want to do. I was so excited to tell that story. I'm thrilled with the outcome of it. Um, so as far as I get to check the boxes of my my soul on my on my um, 
bucket list of creations, I got to I got to do it. And they let me do it and 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 it has its challenges in the universe, but so be it. So what well, next can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can I mention that just before we move on from that? Because sure. yeah. there is that kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, right? Like give them what they want. And then they're like, no, I don't want that. Get, like surprise me. And then your third Halloween, you're like, okay, I'm going to swerve. This isn't about Lori anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're, then then you get, you know, we can be honest here. Like it did, did fine box office wise. You're happy. But the reviews weren't as strong as the other two. You saw that. And it is what it is. It's like, okay, I guess you can only be true to yourself and the story you that that as you say resonates with you and if you're comfortable as an artist with that and that's enough you're okay if you're looking for validation at a box office or or, right. or a critic or a, the reception from a fan base or or a unique audience you know but I've, I've spent a lot of my time you could look at my first film which was really critically well received and you couldn't ask for a better introduction but it was rejected from Sundance and nobody went to the box office and it made very little money and then right. had another life when Criterion Collection picked it up. And so so my whole career, I'm up and down and depressed and exhilarated and and I'm happy and I'm sad and I'm always confused, you know. So <laughs> so the only thing you can do as a creator that's willing to put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable is be true to yourself because, hey, I'm lucky to have a group of cohorts and collaborators that are going to stand by me through the good times and bad times and keep continue these creations. But um, that's as you you can't that circle of trust is the only thing that's that's really meaningful to me outside of my own intuition as a as a creative species. And you can't control the outcome, so you might as well make something that is that works for you and your collaborators that you, you guys are proud by. of. When I was making Your Highness with Danny McBride, I thought I was going to win an Oscar. I was like, <laughs> who wouldn't want to watch this movie? This They're letting us film my opus, and this is my <laughs> Fitzcarraldo. This is my Lawrence of Arabia. This is going to stand <laughs> among the classics of all time. And uh, boy, was I wrong. But but I, I, my, I showed it to my I have 12-year-old kids now. I showed it to them a few months ago, and I was like, I still don't know what anyone's thinking. Why would you write a why would Roger Ebert write a bad review of that movie? Because it's a masterpiece. Uh, I, David, I will say the one movie I watched in preparation for our chat today, I just I I put it on. I had to one more time. I yes. It. So <laughs> it, and I don't stand by everything I did, and I don't say that. There's certainly no, some things that like I I, right. I had a hard time rewatching Undertow recently. Um, some things I'm very passionate about in it, but some things that I'm looking at being like, you that was a choice you made, bud. Like, you know, sort of should have taken a cold bath before that one but so that those <clears throat> those realities certainly are there and i don't revisit movies very often but there are um there are no regrets i guess and and so i think the only reason i have no regrets is because there's not an outside force a studio a benefactor someone saying do this don't do this second guess yourself there's a group of people that i trust that are sometimes saying that's a bad idea let's reevaluate or sleep on that idea before you do it and when someone I really trust says that, I do do that. Um, and when someone double dog dares me to do something, sometimes I'm ballsy enough to do it anyway. You know. Right. Well, thank God they're calling you on it. You don't want that. You know, you don't want to get in that bubble where they're reinforcing all the bad decisions. That's 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 the danger, right? I, I do, uh, and I see a lot of my contemporaries that don't evolve in that way because I think they they are self proclaimed geniuses, and so right. the 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 young group of of genius supporters are there just to say yes sir yes ma'am and and i think that could be really dangerous where i uh i think i have the right combative collaboration where we complement each other we don't always agree we're there to push and pull and and 
you've got to at some point make your infinite creative trust group finite. You've got to yep. you've got to find out who who it is and point to them and look them in the eye and say, "You're here today. You showed up. I trust you." So specifically on on Exorcist. Okay, so in the it's been fifty years since the original, um, and look, several filmmakers have have taken swings at sequels, at prequels. I mean, no less than I mean, there was the infamous prequel that was shot twice. <laughs> Randy Harlan, Paul Schrader, crazy. Uh, Blatty himself directed a, a sequel. Um, you know, wh wh when you went back, and I assume you went back to the original. I'm assuming you've, it's ingrained in you as well. What did you see in there where there was opportunity? What excited you? Did you see immediately what your way into uh, finding an exorcist story was? Yeah, for me, and, and I think where horror is for me right now in culture and in, in my relationships is, is a way that I can make snow angels, um, that I can make something that's personal to me, that's meaningful to me. And in the case of the exorcist, it's about um, uh, a buffet of beliefs. It's about bringing new perspectives and appreciating the opportunity of new perspectives in a combined initiative. Um, and that's something that as I look into the world, I see those fractures and, and not enough of those unities. And this is a way that I could tell a story that's not preachy, that's not got a message to it, but it's entertainment. Um, and it's something that people around the world will, will turn their heads, if not buy a ticket to, when they hear about it. And and I think that's exhilarating for someone that spent a lot of their time in the shadows of an industry or on the fringe of an industry, being able to make something about belief, about spirituality, about community in a way that dramatic filmmaking is. And the original film is a, is is as much as you could say it's about possession. It's not a it's not a spectacular supernatural horror movie. It's an intimate, clinical, unnerving theological drama. Um, right. I was going to say it's more drama than horror in, in a way. And that makes sense when you're referring back to Snow Angels. Like, and again, like, it's so funny to hear you talk about community. I think about that film. I think about even your Halloween films, it keeps coming back. It's clearly it's, something that it is. And, and, yeah, and, and those are things that I find value. The more, um, more I travel the world with, with my work and which is a huge, um, part of what keeps me going through the frustrations and the stress and the sleeplessness of, of what I do is that the exposure to the world and points of view and, and belief and uh, in a world where we feel, I feel so many times everybody's stuck on a device and isolating themselves in a big comfy chair, stuck at home on a computer communicating through text that they don't even know how to write. Um, that's frustrating to me. What I love is a congregation. What I love is a community. What I love is, is holding hands with people, some of whom you love and adore and some of whom you've never met, but feeling that connection and I get to make a movie about that that's called The Exorcist. It's kind of cool. There's there's no denying, you know, as a viewer, you get the goosebumps when Ellen Burstyn pops up on screen, more than pops up. I mean, you know, I'd heard like, oh, you only had her for a certain amount of time. And look, she's she's a woman of a certain age. I get that. But like you actually, whatever time you had, you maximized it. She's in this movie in a real way. Um, talk to me a little bit about like, is there a plan B if you can't get Ellen Burstyn on board? Because she yeah. could easily have said, I'm good. Oh, I assume she would say I'm good. I, you know, part of it was, um, part of it was a, a great, one of the things as a movie geek and just a fan of her work, I'm, my favorite film of hers is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in The Last Picture Show. Those two movies, I want, I, so my thing was, this gives me an excuse to call her and talk to her about those movies. 
So just as you get to be a curious soul and, and reach out to filmmakers and, and Michael Shannon and, uh, who I just saw his movie actually, and I love his his directorial debut is is amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, powerful movie. Yeah, nice. Um, so I'm always on those hunts, whether it be like, oh, that actor's directing something, or Ellen Burstyn is has been in so many of my favorite films, and now I have a reason to call her, and it's not just a random, um, right. creepo bugging her on the street. I actually get to sit down for tea with her and talk to her about what she's done and what I'd like her to do. And is there a connection there? And we've become really good friends. We, 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 we met and I, and I gave her a book that it was, I was, um, I was excited about, um, called the infinite view. And she told me about a book conversations with God and a book Kabluna. And so we're talking literature, we're talking, um, the spiritual world and, and her journeys over the last 50 years, which in many ways mirror, our creation of Chris McNeil over the last 50 years because yeah. her association with the film, the exorcist people bring a spiritual conversation or connection to her because she represents something based on that film's power. Um, and so we wanted to kind of infuse that into a mother who's written a book based on her experience in Georgetown in 1973. Uh, we kind of connected those dots and sit with her who's legend icon, sweet, creative, powerhouse and um and create this role for her that felt meaningful and appropriate and the 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 not necessarily essential from a movie going fan service standpoint but for me spiritually taking the inspiration of Friedkin's movie as our as our influence it felt like a huge opportunity if we could pull it off and and we did and and to have her on set was was a gift and she um, would always stay longer than she'd intended. And, um, and, 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 you know, you, you have this crew, I have this kind of wacky rascal group of, of artists and technicians I work with, um, talking shit and having fun every day. And then everything, everybody gets silent as right. Ellen oh. walks to set, like, where do we go with this goddess? And then she's the first one to crack everybody up and lighten nice. it up and, and really brought that, the ease and informality of the collaboration to the, to the front lines of the, of the production. As you proceed with these, I, uh, the plan is still potentially two more films in this, in your run. There, there's, there's a trilogy of exorcism films planned and okay. based on um, a lot of factors, we'll see, we'll see if that, okay. if that, if the roadmap that we've kind of penciled in, if that makes sense. Um, but I think the next few weeks will be telling and, and right. to how that will unfold. Is, is there interest in filling more of, and this film fills some of it in, filling in more of the gaps of like the last 50 years of, you know, obviously, you know, we're seeing de-aging use so much and that's not, so that's, that's costly, but like a lot of the characters from that film, those actors aren't even around anymore, sadly, but like, you know, I'd be lying if I said, I didn't want to see more of Karis and Kinderman and et cetera. Um, did you toy with that in this film or have you thought about using see more of them in, in future installments. We thought about it and have a lot. I mean, we wrote a lot. Peter Sattler, another film school buddy of mine, and I wrote the the script after Danny McBride and Scott Teams and I wrote the story for it. And we have so many ideas. Um, what I was worried about is the logistical burden of it and the gimmick of it. And this is not a, unlike Halloween, this is not a kind of Easter egg franchise for me. This is, right. this is a bit different. And I also don't think it's a sacred mythology 
in in a, in the way that some franchises can be. Um, and although I really did like Dial of Destiny more than more than most people, I, th- I was Same. pleasantly yeah. surprised with it. I thought it was, uh, that was well done. Um, but I don't think this is that movie. I think this is a way. If I have if if I'm to continue to steward this franchise, it's a way to travel the world and ask questions and be curious about what things that we'll never know, but get perspectives of people that have seen things, felt things, experienced things that um, that are unusual. Uh, because I just love to I love to get into it and ask questions and <clears throat> and and bring new buffets of philosophy to my beliefs. That being said, look, my only request, if you continue, you, look, the power of those steps in Georgetown, that that gives you so much. Just a, just a shot, a return, you're, you know, it, there's a lot there. That's there's a brilliant. lot of power that's, in that one image. Interesting, and that's never been discussed. That's really... <laughs> I'm not uh, saying I, it hasn't been discussed. I'm just saying, I as a fan, this is my greedy request, this I want to uh-huh. go back there one more time. That's really interesting. All right, that's where we'll start. <laughs> okay, great, 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 great. Okay, so uh, backtracking uh, as we jump around. Um, early in the career, I remember Terrence Malick was often referred to as a, as an influence so, seen in your early work. He even helped steward, I believe, Undertow, produced Undertow. Is he is Terrence still in your life? Has he seen Your Highness or Halloween? Uh, I haven't talked to him in a few years. I got an email through someone else a couple of weeks ago with a greeting from him, which was really nice, but not, not acknowledging if he's seen any of my, uh, my, my horror films, uh, but it was awesome. And, you know, it, it's so cool. As you know, when you meet someone that has been inspiring to you, you never know what's going to happen. And there's people that I've met that were idols and inspirations that were disappointing. And he's one that was profound. So yeah. that was a really amazing. Although he did, he did one time when we were making Undertow. I'm filming a very inter- intimate scene on a, uh, a in the intercoastal waterways of of Georgia, and it's whispered scene. And I hear him very loud ruin the take by going, "Oh, the loons are mating," and then you have to go, "Shh, Terrence, Terrence <laughs> can't control himself. Get a camera on those." Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> having a, him on set, there's a leaf floating. I need to capture this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Having having him on set is both a a, a blessing and a liability. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I, I apologize. I keep going back to Your Highness, but I can't help myself. But Please. talking about talking about those films back in the day, Your Highness, Pineapple Express, The Sitter, Your Highness, especially um, edgy is one word for it. There's some stuff in there that would not fly today. Like for whatever reason, you probably would not yeah. be able to get away with what but, you made back you, then. You but you look at any movie. What was that? I don't know. 2011. I was watching Step Brothers the other day, like which just seems like a very normal everyday. Oh, there's some language movie. in there. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's hysterical, but there's some things that you can't say today. So that's one of the reasons I think the world of theatrical comedy is really quiet right now is because people don't know what the next sensitivity is necessarily. And and if you're a guy like me that's sensitive in his own right and and empathetic to people around the world of any thought, I don't want to piss anybody off. I just want to make funny right. shit. Um, and, and I've got a weird sense of humor, so who knows what's going to come out. <laughs> does does the TV work, the work on Righteous Gemstones, Eastbound uh, back uh, about a decade ago, did that, has that scratched that comedy itch yeah. to a degree? Yeah. To a degree, but, but, but you still want to be in a congregation, if you're me. I want to go to the theater. 
I yeah. want to see shoulders and heads bounce and right. and people look to each other. Should I be laughing? Is like I'll never forget seeing Welcome to the Dollhouse in the theater for the first time, and I'm cackling like a fucking maniac and yeah. looking around. That's people, a different experience at home alone people, versus yeah, in the theater. A different experience. <laughs> people want permission to laugh, and I don't necessarily. I can't control. I was just doing an interview. 20 minutes ago with Jason Blum and, and he said something I was like trying not to laugh. It was so funny, but then it's inappropriate to laugh. And that's when like farting in church becomes the greatest right. thing ever because those holding in laughter moments are just unbelievable. And, uh, and, and we should be so lucky to be able to have a sense of humor in a world that is, is, is jamming us with so much cynicism and so much skepticism about our, our, our neighbors and our community and the philosophies of others. And, we're trying to pick teams for fucking whatever reason. Like, let's let's have a bit of a sense of humor about it. And you know, sure, you got to be a little careful. But and but I think if you can justify an intention uh, of joy, of of amusement, and not be at the expense of someone, then then you should be safe to do it. Um, I don't know. And your highness, I just know was made under the auspice of pure joy yeah. of of people that love each other and are making each other laugh and and are are ruining takes because they're so funny. And then the greatest moment of, uh, uh, I have never stopped laughing about the barbarian saying, step back, new friends, I'll lead the way for tonight, evil's met its match. Once that performer said those lines on set, I have not been the same. There's always, <laughs> a, there's always a part of my stomach that's still jiggling in laughter from whatever, 12 years ago when we were filming that in Northern Ireland. And it's not even a joke. There's not a joke in that movie. It's just stupid <laughs> shit. Whatever Thoreau is doing deserves all the awards, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh Whatever my gosh! Um, yes, uh, so you... many, so many lines probably unqu unquotable. Certainly not <laughs> of his, his masterful performance there. Do you, uh, okay, talk about things that are executable that there's an audience for that you could get money for. I mean, I would imagine Max or HBO or whatever we're calling it would beat down your door and have for the last ten years for more Eastbound, more Kenny Powers. What's up? Like, do you and Danny not talk about this? Because you could make whatever you want with that character, I would think, at this point. Yeah, but you can make whatever you want with anything. And and so I guess it is a it's a blend. And and we talk about this a lot, particularly rebooting franchises and delving into pre-existing IP and things like that. If if you're going to give us a platform where we can maximize our creativity without having a lot of people shake their heads or say no. That's what we want. And so sometimes that comes under budgetary constraints. Sometimes it comes under calling it something so that then that allows for the marketing machine to do what it needs to do to be respectful of, of the business side of the industry. And, and so you always gauge those parameters of what you're trying to do. Something like Eastbound, um, I think, was a, was, a, it was a moment in time. It was a pre-Trump moment in time where, where toxic masculinity wasn't a term. It was just something absurd and ridiculous to look at from an objective Southern man's point of view. And, and the, the humor of it, I think if you were to turn that up now uh, or introduce that now, people would be upset with it because it, we've seen such a, a, a negative avalanche of, of similar type figures that we wouldn't want to put a Kenny Powers on a T-shirt anymore. But if we look right. at who he was in that moment, um, where we had a, a, it was a different world. And, and I think that's, that's a really special thing to have been a part of those moments and see a show like that, that went from a, what the hell are we gonna do with this show? Why did we even make it to a success story season after season building a fan base to, I would, I would imagine more people saw that show after it was, after the four oh, yeah. years when, when, we, um, when we 
completed making it than saw it while it was on air in the first place. But but you're right. I could see a scenario where that character comes back and is taken up by folks um, cheering on this character for the wrong reasons and not getting the joke. Well, that was always the fun even making it is because you could see, you know, you could see so many very different types of people get a sense of humor out of it. Like people would come in high five and say, hey, man, thank you for making the show about people like me. And you're like, okay. And then other people would be like, have a little bit more of an academic introspective version uh, interpretation of the subversive qualities of the show, because it, it is pretty surreal. Um, and it, and it is, it's vulgar as all hell and it's strange. And it was also at a time where there weren't um, serialized half hour comedy shows. That was, right. we got that from, or I mean, I say we, Danny and, and Ben and Jody created that show. I was just along for the ride and enjoyed directing, but they created that show in the in the wake of the the British office, which had mm-hmm. kind of introduced that concept to uh, a modern sensibility. But other American shows weren't doing that. And that was kind of controversial to think, oh, you have to watch episode one before episode four. Um, that right. was it was funny to think that that was like a pioneer of those conversations in the industry. I'm kind of surprised that in this, you know, aforementioned eclectic career, I could not find even like in a Google search, David Gordon Green associated rumored for a comic book movie at some point have you never taken the meeting been up for a marvel or dc project no strange no isn't that weird no well i mean but you know i think you look at that and you see a kid that's i say kid i'm 48 40 whatever i am but uh (laughs) uh but like i think it's a bombastic career with someone without a lot of supervision um uh i think i have a very strict professional discipline and I'm always on time and I'm always on budget and these types of things that I, I adhere to. And, and, and the reason people continue to hire me is because I say, this is what you're going to get and this is what you get. Um, but I think there's a huge empire of a, of a, of a franchise and, and to that degree that are so costly, uh, so expensive, they have to check a lot of boxes. And, and, um, and, I, and I do commercials that are fun and you, and you have those types of, uh, of panels of experts that are letting you know when you've got the shot or when you need to move right. on, or you've got the, got what you need for the professional requirements of the agenda. But I just, I think I'm too ridiculous for that. I'm, I'm too playful. And I, and I, and I, I want to be the one that says we've got it. We're moving on now. And that's, that's, that's my only request. I'm surprised like in a, in a world where like James Gunn does guardians and is celebrated for it. It's not that far afield to think David Gordon Green could do something irreverent with a comic book character is do you have that appetite is there a character that you've ever daydreamed about taking a swing on i i honestly don't know if you were to say pick pick a comic book character i would pick little lulu i wouldn't pick like a marvel character i would no no i'm your agent now no david no 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 don't no no <laughs> yeah oh i like dennis the menace and, and richie rich and and that, that no, get, getting of... a little better not much better yeah. but okay all right peanuts i don't know <laughs> david well we'll walk fine on this <laughs> Yeah, I just think I just think I look at things a little bit differently, and and I also right. want to minimize. Uh, this is just from the efficiency of of a workday. I want to minimize visual effects logistics. Like, right. I, I can't wrap a, a scene that was shot entirely on green screen, and I've done it a few times, but and and I and feel confident about it because I don't know what the what it's going to look like, what how the foreground relates to the background, what the the uh, the color temperature is, what the lighting's like. Those, those, those kind of question marks make me really insecure. Uh, maybe it's because I haven't done it a lot, but I just feel like I, I love an Exorcist movie because it's a very practically 
executed movie. There's some there's some visual effects in it, and and we use it quite a bit to augment things and and to clean up and uh, the heal and reveal of some of the practical effects. But I want Christopher Nelson and his makeup team bringing this to life. I want my art yeah. department with their sleeves rolled up, kicking ass in building sets, and and I want to shoot as much practically as possible. And I think for some of those more spectacular uh, DC universe, Marvel universe kind of movies that just, it's impossible to do. And um, I I think I'd be more interested in like the Roger Corman, fantastic four approach. (laughs) Where does star Wars fit in David? There have been rumors that you are developing a star Wars project. That has, you know, I've, I've met with, uh, uh, some folks there, but I've never, there's never been a project or an idea. And, and those, those kind of meetings are fun because I, I, I do know a lot about at least the old star Wars movies. And those are really fun. And, and, a and a, a very strong part of my excitement as a kid watching movies was those movies. I mean, I can remember the, the Chuck E. Cheese tokens when I was standing in line for return of the Jedi, the Wednesday after it was released, uh, and I'm still waiting in a line. My mom went and got tickets early in the morning. I'm there for an eight o'clock show. And a guy gave me a shitload of Chuck E. Cheese tokens. And I couldn't decide whether I'm going to stand in line with this anticipation of this movie or I was going to go to Chuck E. Cheese and play video games. And I just held the, held the bag of tokens, filled my pockets and went the next week. Um, so they do, but, but the reality is again, that, that the mechanism I think might look at me too skeptically. So, you know, they're like anything, like there's executives that want to know who's out there and what they're thinking and, Hey, he's dusted off a, a a Halloween franchise, or he's working on an Exorcist right. franchise. I wonder if he's got something creative to to bring to the table. But my my impulses are always pretty eccentric. And um, yeah, I'm trying to imagine what corner of Star Wars would appeal to David Gordon Green. What I I would be very curious too of, of where that would go. You know, but I don't know. Uh, I would never say no because I. Every time I say never is when I get the phone call that makes me excited about something. And, right. and so I've, I've, I've learned those lessons. Right now I'm excited. McBride and I are trying to um, do an animated series based on the Garbage Pail Kids cards. Have you ever had those cards? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've, we're working on that. And, and we've got some really cool ways that we can make a, a pretty naughty animated show. We'll see if, uh, if they'll have us on that one. So there's, there's certainly... I, I use that as a, an example of, of like pulling something out of IP and playing, meaning yep. taking a... A, but but making it personal and making what appeals to me about it, not necessarily just engineering it for everyone in the in the world. Um, yep. I guess that's what gets hard for me is trying to make everyone happy. Um, where I want to take, I want to have a point of view, and I right. want to make something pretty specific and passionate. You, and you look, we've talked about all the, the different kinds of projects you've you've worked on. You're one of those guys on Wikipedia that literally has a page devoted to the unproduced David Gordon Green projects, many of which. I've talked to you about in different forums over the years and, and and I've read about. Is there one in particular that you are desperate to still drag out the script that you still love and adore and feel passionate about? Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen this Wikipedia page that you're referring to, but <laughs> there's probably 11 of them. Like, I don't know. I'm yeah. just a passionate person and I wake up right. wanting to, and I don't, I don't ever put a project to bed and think, I dodged a bullet, you know, um, but I also I don't have any regrets of what I've done. Newsflash, the Cronkite movie, Confederacy of Dunces was, was around forever, Friday Night yeah. Lights. Yeah, oh. yeah, Confederacy of Dunces is a great example of a project that got so caught up in a panel of decision makers 
that I felt like I'm just a part of the committee. And I, and that one just didn't make sense at the time, but it was a brilliant script by Scott Kramer and Steven Soderbergh and, um, and, and took me to New Orleans for seven years, living there, hoping that movie would make be made. And there was just never the circumstances that were going to make it in a healthy way for me, but <clears throat> that's a cool one. But, but, but like any movie, it's a lot of it's cultural timing, right? Like when is yeah, somebody yeah. going to give you the right amount of money and the right cast available? Um, anybody can go make a movie, you know, we can, we can turn our phones and, and get to work. But, but I, I, um, I don't know. I, it's about timing. Like a movie like yeah. Prince Avalanche wouldn't exist without the sitter. Um, I, like I, I do something big and, and, and expensive and the logistics of New York city and you're running and then let's strip and it all down. I want 13 days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's yeah. go to the woods and make a movie. And, and so every project is kind of a, a reaction to the, to the last one. And, um, and, and I, and I always want to take bold swings with my career and I'm not necessarily at this point so concerned with commercial success and public acceptance. Although I do want to make movies for an audience to go to the movie theaters and see, um, that is an agenda. So I want to always have some sort of hook, at least in my heart that this is going to end up in a movie theater. Um, I, I think people will see this one. They should. (laughs) Uh, A reminder, folks, uh, The Exorcist Believer is David's latest work. Uh, Man, you know I love uh, what you do, big or small, weird, the weirder the better. Go check out Your Highness again, guys. It's an undiscovered masterpiece. Um, David, thanks for doing the podcast at last, and I look forward to our many conversations to come. Thanks, buddy. Good talking to you again. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 